Spirit, God, would speak to us tonight. We pray, Lord, a word in season. God, we pray the ministry of your Holy Spirit. As we walk in the fear of the Lord, so, God, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Lord. God, even so, let us be multiplied, my God. And that, Lord, through all circumstances, let it be an occasion, an opportunity for testimony, for the glorification of Christ, that Christ would be exalted, and Christ would be manifest, and Christ's name and the cross of Christ would be central, Lord, to all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Blessings. You can be seated. All right. Now, just quickly before we do hand over to um, Brother Anton, just to let you know, obviously next week's meetings, uh, which were scheduled, are uh, uh, obviously cancelled. And so um, uh, we have tonight's uh, meeting, which was originally being the prayer meeting and then we've scheduled in Sunday uh, for our normal session and then we have uh, a break and we'll have a second session as well with brother Anton uh, and then that he will fly back on Tuesday morning back to the States and uh, uh, get out before they, they cease uh, these international flights and so in light of all of that we are blessed to be able to have come together and have you with us this day we're not sure exactly how it's all going to pan out but the Lord willing here we are and so uh, let's uh, welcome our dear brother as he comes and ministers the word of God thanks Gary well praise God it's good to be together with you this evening and to see all the familiar faces nice to see Pastor Paul Homer who's come all the way from way over there Good, good to have you with us, praise God. Um, good to have uh, Chris, what happened to Chris? Oh, he's uh, sleeping on the floor down there. Uh, who's, who's helping us with the live streaming tonight and he's going to educate me about live streaming so that we can, uh, uh, we can do that back home because obviously that's what we're gonna have to do. Um, so, uh, uh, this evening, uh, are, we, are we good? Uh, we all right? Okay. Uh, not, not used to having many microphones and cameras, but uh, <laughs> we, we're going to have to get used to it. And uh, uh, I, I uh, foresee next week having to preach to an empty hall uh, with just a camera. I, I've never done that in my life. I can't imagine doing that. Um, but that uh, looks like what we're going to have to do. In California, just by the way, we have seen over the last week um, the size of meetings being cut down from uh, 100 to 50 to 10. And uh, just today, the government has, or the state of California has closed down uh, the whole state. Um, the state is in a state of, um, uh, they call it um, sheltering in place. Uh, and basically everything except that which is non-essential is closed, um, which is quite amazing. And, and I'm going to speak a little bit about that this evening. So uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and I, I want to share with you a few thoughts. And I, I don't have a very formal exposition. Um, I, I just have some thoughts on my heart that I... Um, uh, that are quite heavy on my heart and that I want to share with you uh, concerning the time in which we're living and concerning the soon coming of the Lord. Um, I, I may speak later on on Sunday about the, uh, the, the things that become distractions from the centrality of Jesus Christ. 
One of those things is the uh, prophetic signs. And while those signs are important, um, they become a focus within themselves for many folk. Um, entire ministries, entire books are built around this whole thing of the signs. And um, I, I don't um, deny that there are signs, but it can become a distraction uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ as much as other things. But at the same time, we do need to, uh, we need to, we need to look at the signs. We need to, to know where we, where we are. Um, you look at the sky and you say, say tomorrow it's going to be a good day. Jesus says, how is it then that you cannot discern the times? And so we, we do need to discern the times. But at the same time, I, I just want to, by, by, before I get into the passage, I, I want to uh, sound a warning that we uh, don't uh, believe that Jesus is coming soon because of the signs. Now, uh, are you awake? We, we don't believe Jesus is coming soon because of the signs. We believe he's coming soon because he said so. He said, I'm coming at a time you don't expect. I'm coming as a thief in the night. And so uh, we don't need the signs, although we, the signs need to be, we need to pay attention to them. Um, and, and we need to be careful a little bit when it comes to the signs, because uh, having grown up in, in Pentecost, um, I, I've heard endless sermons on all sorts of events over the 50 years that I've been a believer, um, that, uh, that this is it, this is, this is the end. Um, and, and yet it hasn't been. And so I think that there's a danger that we can cry wolf, and I want to be very, very careful about that. And yet at the same time, I believe that there are things happening that we do need to pay attention to. And I'm going to share three things with you uh, this evening. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 24, and um, we'll read verses 4 through 14. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14. Um, how much can I move around, Chris? As much as, you like. as much as I like. Okay, good. All right. Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and various places. These are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, this is a difficult passage because it's, I'm looking for a watch. Uh, it doesn't, by the way, you know, a watch doesn't help me very much. I need a calendar, but um, 
The, um, the problem with this passage is that it's primarily a Jewish passage uh, written uh, or Jesus is speaking to the disciples in a Jewish context. So um, we need to be very careful how that we interpret this passage. Um, and I'm not going to uh, get into too many specifics because of that. Um, and yet I believe that the, the key uh, lies in verse 7 uh, where he says, uh, sorry, verse 8, and these are the beginnings of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. So uh, irrespective of your view, and I don't, um, I guess maybe I may, I may have to get into the pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation rapture a little bit, um, but irrespective of, of your view, um, the, the timing um, is the same for either view. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, well, uh, we simply believe, and I held a pre-trib view, that the rapture happens and then the tribulation starts. Uh, those who believe in a mid or a post-tribulation believe the tribulation starts at exactly the same point, and then the rapture happens at a later stage. So irrespective of your view, the point is that the beginning of the tribulation is exactly the same point for everyone. Um, and obviously there's only one rapture. There's, no, there's not three raptures. We just have three different uh, ideas as to how, that, how and when that's going to happen. So when, uh, and so the, the tribulation is not clearly not going to just start one day. Now I'm going to speak about that in, in a few seconds. The, but it, 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 it's not like the, there's, there's nothing happening and then just overnight the whole world turns upside down and the Antichrist is revealed and, and everything begins. Obviously, there is a lead up to that. There are certain events that will happen uh, that will be precursors. Um, and when he speaks here of the beginning of sorrows, um, it's, it's the, the idea that when a woman uh, enters into uh, uh, travail, into childbirth, um, that, that can be a protracted event. It can take days of initial uh, birth pangs um, or contractions, um, and then eventually the real thing happens. Um, now, so for some, obviously, it's a, it's a very quick thing. It's a, an hour or two or three, and it all happens, and it's all over. But it can be, and so there are, those, there are those pains that happen before the time, indicating that something is about to happen. The, the, we have the same thing with earthquakes in California, uh, that uh, sometimes uh, there are these minor little earthquakes that, that signal a bigger one coming, and then after it has happened, of course, there are many many others. Now, from this passage, there are two things that I believe that are pertinent and that we will, uh, we will uh, look at from here and then also from Thessalonians. The first is, obviously, uh, in the context of where we're at, is this idea of pestilence in verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And there is no doubt that what we have now uh, is a pestilence. We're in the midst of a, a pestilence that is uh, unprecedented in living memory. Um, I don't know much about the Black Plague and what happened then uh, and to what extent that was a worldwide thing. We understand that many, many people died during that time. But what we're seeing is unique in this experience. 
And there are a few things that I want for us to pay attention to in this. And I am very happy for uh, Pastor Gary's uh, statements concerning uh, the fact that we want to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Our hope is in, anchored in heaven. Uh, we are not shaken by the things that happen here um, and so on. So we, we, we hold to those things. Yet at the same time, we need to look at what is happening. Now, the first thing I, th I think that we need to uh, look at is the speed with which this has happened. The speed with which it has happened. The, the, I don't think there's one of us who, I don't need to tell you the fact. You, we, we're living it right now. Uh, th there has never been a time, certainly in my lifetime, that, that you have um, had to look at your uh, phone, because I don't have access to the, the news, to look at your phone every morning to find that the world has drastically changed since last night particularly because of my interest in America, because we come from there, and uh, America is awake while we sleep over here, and so it all happens while we sleep. And you come in the morning, and suddenly the, uh, the, the stock market is, is spiraling down. Um, one morning it's down, uh, uh, well, one afternoon there, one morning here, down 3,000 points on the Dow, 2,000 the next day, 1,000 the next day, and it just keeps going and keeps going, and there seems to be no... Uh, and no end. Now, if, if you told, if, if, if I uh, held a prophetic conference, which I don't hold, but if I did, and, and I told you that in, uh, in, uh, in one month's time, the, the Dow will drop from, I think it was 2,400 points down to 1,900 points overnight, you would have said, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. Remember peace and safety, then sudden destruction. Now, this is not sudden destruction in that sense, but there was no indication that the stock market was going to fall. Everything was looking good six weeks ago. Yeah, there was a little bit of a problem out there in China, but it didn't really affect anyone, and it was their problem, not our problem. And so uh, everything was great. And then overnight, uh, money has disappeared. Businesses are closing down. Um, I'm flying back. Our, our tickets are with, with Virgin Atlantic, and um, as you heard, we had to change the tickets before they, they stopped flying, and, and there are very strong rumors I hear that they may never open again, because that, that even if they get massive bailouts from the government, they will not be able to survive this. Now, that's one of the bigger businesses in, in Australia. What about the thousands of little businesses that will not survive this? What about the thousands of individuals, millions of individuals across the world who are losing their jobs and whose jobs may never come back again? And you'll see that one of the things that's associated here or listed together with uh, pestilence is famines. And we say, well, a famine can't, can't happen. A worldwide famine is, is, is not going to happen in our time. And yet it's a very, very real possibility now, I'm not here to scare you, I, 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 but it's important that we understand the time in which we're living. And the way that things are unfolding, everything is coming to a grinding halt. Businesses are ceasing to function and operate. A famine can very well happen. 
I have no doubt that we're already, and we're, we're a couple of weeks into this thing in California, already I got a message that one of our folk in the church has already lost her job because it's a job that requires contact with people, and the company has scaled down dramatically, they've closed down, and they've already retrenched people, and they may never, those jobs may never come back again. And that's just the first of many. Uh, we, we're already gearing up in our assembly to be able to support folk as much as we possibly can financially, uh, because I believe that we're in for hard times. And folk, the, the, here's the problem. We say, well, it's, we, we, this is just going to go away. We'll get over it in a few weeks' time. And yet, we may not get over this in a few weeks' time. The problem is we don't know. And I know people say, well, you know, it took China however long, what, what, how's it, how long has it been, two months, and now they're reporting no new cases. Well, who knows if that's the truth? We, we don't know. Uh, so we have, we have no record, we have no history to go by and say it's going to take that long. Uh, governments can clamp down and they can shut down and we can get the thing under control and it can flare up again. The point that I'm just trying to make is that the world is changing at a dizzying rate, at a rate that we cannot even absorb. I, I cannot even begin to, to understand what my life is going to be like back in America from here on. What I understand is that it's going to be very different. Clearly, we understand that the church is going to be very different, and so we're gearing up to do live streaming, um, and, and, and some folks say, well, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, the church doesn't have to physically come together. We can survive on live streaming. I, I beg to disagree. Yes, if our faith is real, it won't fail, and we will continue to serve the Lord and love the Lord. But, but, but why did Jesus institute the idea of the assembling of yourselves together? I'm going to come back to that verse in a moment. Why did he institute this idea of us physically coming together and encouraging one another, supporting one another, worshiping together, being taught the Word of God, uh, elders being able to relate to folk and see folk? Uh, you know, as I said to you earlier, I don't know how I'm going to preach without, without faces in front of me. Um, how do I know what's going on in, in the lives of, of, of the congregation if I can't see them? Uh, I don't know if they're happy or sad. I don't know, you know. Uh, we're going to have to develop techniques to be able to communicate uh, and to understand what's going on with folk. But uh, that was not God's plan for the church. But clearly the church is changing. And, and here's the thing is that we can say, well, we'll get over this in a few months' time. But I can guarantee you, that in that process, we will lose people. And I'm going to speak about that in, uh, in, in a few moments. So things are changing, and they're changing at a rate that we cannot begin to understand. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the thing that comes from that. Don't say it's another 10 years before Jesus is going to come. Many believers... And there are, I'm sure, those here, because in every congregation of God's people, there are those who don't really believe that He can come today, that He can come tomorrow. Because, remember what they said to Peter? From the old times, the world has just continued. Where is He coming? For 2,000 years we've been saying Jesus is coming. And there are certain things that need to happen. And we say, well, you know, these signs haven't been fulfilled, so he can't come today. 
And what this we're seeing, and the point that I'm just trying to drive home, is what we're seeing is that, is that, these, that the world can change instantaneously. In a matter of a few weeks, the world has changed in every way. Jet travel has, has stopped. California is the fifth biggest economy in the world. In other words, when I say the fifth biggest economy, it is the fifth biggest economy in comparison to other nations in the world. Above uh, California is obviously the United States, Germany, and uh, we're bigger than Britain now. Uh, we're two and a half times the size of the Australian economy. One state, California. And today, as I said to you earlier, California is closed. And I don't mean closed in the sense that Australia and New Zealand is closed and, and the borders are closed and nobody can come in. It is closed for business. People have been told to go home and to stay home. We're allowed to go out and buy groceries and essentials, and we're allowed to go outside to walk, and that's it. You have to stay home. Do we understand the gravity of that? The seriousness that overnight the fifth biggest economy in the world is effectively stopped. The things that drive our economy, the computers and stuff of Silicon Valley, Hollywood, all of those things have stopped. They're not making movies anymore, and maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> but, but everything has come to a halt. Now, two weeks ago, if I told you that California would be closed for business indefinitely, you'd say it would never happen. And yet it has happened before our very eyes. Now, the second thing I want to, I want to touch on in this regard is, and, and please understand, I'm going to make some political statements tonight, and, and I, I, I don't want you to get angry with me because of the political statements. I'm simply trying to illustrate a point. My allegiance is not with any government. My allegiance is with the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but what we have seen is governments having taken power that two months ago we would have believed is impossible. If I said to you two months ago that the governments of the world will close churches down. Now, I understand this is not against churches. This is everyone, but it includes us but that the governments will have the power and the authority to close the borders and will actually do so, and will have the power and the authority to close every business except that which is a non-essential. You would have said this will never happen, but it's happened. And more may be coming. We don't know where this is, as I've said, we don't know where this is going. Every day it is changing. Already we have a state of emergency in California and we have a state of emergency in the United States. There's one more step. And you know what that next step is. Martial law. Can martial law happen? Yes, it can. If the death rate continues to spiral, if it's evident that they, they don't have control over this thing, the government, I have no doubt about it, will declare martial law. Now, what does martial law mean? 
It means that the government, whether you like the government or not, whether you like Trump or not, I'm going to speak about him again a little later, whether you like him or not, will have sole authority to make and break laws. Now, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It's, this, it's the, the principle that we need to understand. We'll have the power to stay in power almost indefinitely and overnight convert a democracy into a dictatorship because it's important for the survival of the nation, you see. Now, I'm not arguing the merits of that. But can you see how that this can lead up to a world government, to a dictator rising up and controlling the world? Because what happens, for example, if Italy doesn't take the right steps, any, any nation, I'm just using Italy as an example, any nation doesn't take the right steps. They don't get the thing under control. They, they, they're not closing down the businesses. They're not closing down schools. And, and, and the thing is proliferating and it's continuing, and it's continuing to spread from there to the rest of the world. How do we control it? We can't keep the nations closed down indefinitely. The world economy is too dependent on, on interaction between nations. Is it conceivable that in that situation, the World Health Organization, United Nations, whoever come together and say, the only way we're going to beat this thing is have universal martial law. We need to take control of the whole world so that we can beat this thing. Is that inconceivable? Not at all. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But what I'm trying for us to understand is that what we are seeing, if, 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 the, if the things that have happened this far, the degree to which nations have taken control um, of their people, limited their freedom of movement, which you, a year ago we would say that will never happen in Australia, it'll never happen in the Western world, that the government can tell you you can't come and go as you please. They've already done that. And of course it's necessary. I'm pleased. I'm not saying that it's not necessary. But what it's illustrating is how quickly and how easily freedom can be lost. And I'm not rebelling against that. Please understand. And I'm not getting into whether this is a manufactured thing or not a manufactured thing. This, that's got nothing to do with it. It's the speed at which things are changing and it's showing us the potential with which which lies in this kind of event and may be even in this very event. So Jesus is coming soon and he may be coming tonight. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, the next thing here, and um, I'm, I'm not going to deal with all of these, but in verse 12, and because lawlessness will increase or abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. If I asked you what lawlessness this, uh, what is this kind of lawlessness, what lawlessness is he speaking about, I'm pretty sure you'll tell me, well, it's criminal activity. But if you look at the way that the word lawlessness is used in the New Testament, 
it has nothing to do with criminal activity out in the streets. It has to do with believers not holding to the law of the Word of God. The thing that identifies the Antichrist is that he is called the lawless one. The lawless one. He is not bound by the law of God in any way. So, now... Uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, and so I, trust, uh, I hope you can trust me in this, that uh, I'm not suggesting for one moment that we keep the Old Testament law. And I may have spoken to you about this before, but we say we live in the age of grace. The Old Testament was a time of law, New Testament time of grace. We're under grace, we're not under law. Have you heard that before? Yeah, we've heard it many times. How many laws in the Old Testament? 613. How many laws in the New Testament? I heard two. Well, you're out by a thousand times. Over 2,000 laws in the New Testament. We don't know exactly because there's some overlap, so it's difficult to count them, but there's over 2,000 laws in the And you say, well, brother, you're a, you're, you're a legalist. I'm not a legalist. But you must rightly interpret the Scriptures. So I quoted one a little bit earlier. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Is that a law? Is that a commandment? Yes, it's a commandment. Who gave that commandment? God. Who gave the Ten Commandments? God. Did he preface the command that you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with saying, here's a good suggestion, uh, here's an idea? You know, one of the problems we have in California, and obviously I'm at a distance of trying to keep track and trying to guide the church uh, over this distance, is figuring out uh, what parts of what the federal government and the governor are saying are mandated, in other words, laws, and what are suggestions. And sometimes it gets a little bit fuzzy. But when it comes to the Word of God, when God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, it is a command. Plain and simple. We don't have discretion as to whether we're going to obey it or not obey it. He said, well, there's, there's only, and I heard the number two, love the Lord, love your neighbor. But Jesus says, if you love me, Keep the commandments. Keep my commandments, not, not the old commandments. My commandments. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, it's a good idea. It, it, it's helpful. Amen. No, it's a command. It's a command. And, yet, and here's the problem, is that we live in a, in a time, and it's been there for a long time. It's not, this is not a new thing, but it's increasing that we, 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 we say, well, you know, we're not under law. I don't have to go to church. You know that there are, there are almost two times as many Christians, those who claim to be born-again Christians, who don't regularly attend church than who do regularly attend church. And I'm not meaning whether it's a formal church or a house church, but they, they, they're more two-time, two-thirds of Christians don't attend any form of assembling of the saints together. And they say, well, we're Bible-believing, born-again Christians. 
but you're walking in rank disobedience to the Word of God, to the commandments of God. Now I've only quoted two. So we'll spend the next three hours talking about the other 1,998. No, obviously you, I, I trust you get the point. So we, we're living in a time where there is no law as far as Christians are concerned. And it's not just the problem of this age of grace. But we, we have preachers coming out of Singapore and other parts of the world who say, well, we're under grace. You can do whatever you like. Grace covers it all. And so basically, you can go out and sin and live whatever kind of life you like because grace is going to deal with that. Grace is going to cover. And of course, Paul is very clear about that. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And yet that's the message that's being preached. And even if you haven't fallen under the spell of people, haven't fallen under the spell of this man um, and others who teach the, the same message, most Christians deep down believe that message anyhow. That he's going to forgive me. I can live as I like. I can do what I like. I, I know that I'm getting old. I'm not as old as... Pastor Werner, but I'm getting there. And come from a different time. But I cannot understand how in Bible-believing, if you will, holiness-type churches, Christians can live in sin without being married. And then they're frustrated with the pastor or the elders when they won't allow them to take communion. And yet this is happening in our churches. Drunkenness, drug addiction, pornography, homosexuality. The list goes on and on and on. This is present in all of our churches, and I'm sure it's present in your church. Now, I know the elders here don't like to hear that. But that's just the truth of the time in which we're living. We become lawless. There's no fear of God. Pastors don't fear God. God is just, Father Christmas, He's just going to help me, bless me, and everything's going to be great, and I can just do whatever I do and live like I want to live. doesn't matter. We become lawless. And that has resulted in the love of many growing cold. And that's the other reason why this is not criminal lawlessness, because the crime in the streets, how does that impact the love of the, of, the, of the believers? It has no impact on the love of the believers. But when we loose ourselves from the Word of God, love just grows cold. And of course, we can make that immediate connection between there and the church of Laodicea. You're lukewarm. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so we, we live in a time of lawlessness. As a result, the love of many is growing cold. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Very, very controversial passage. Um, and uh, people like to argue about the meaning of this passage, but uh, I trust that you would uh, just understand where I'm coming from. If you hold a different view on the rapture, well, God bless you. Um, I, I don't believe that um, it doesn't matter which view you hold, whether it's a post-trip or mid-trip or pre-trip or pre-wrath or whatever, uh, that you can 
call anyone who disagrees with you a heretic. I've, in fact, broken fellowship with a a well-known pre-trib preacher because he, he has called those who do not believe in the pre-trib rapture heretics. I will break fellowship on that because I don't believe that we can call those who have a different view heretics. And the, the reason is simple, if I can just quickly, uh, sorry I'm, I'm wandering a bit tonight, but the, 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 the reason is simple, and that is that as far as the dating of the, of the rapture, whether it's beginning, middle, or end, is not definitive. There is, not, uh, there is no Scripture that says this is when it's going to happen. We have to interpret the Scriptures and come to a conclusion. And it doesn't matter which view you have, there are holes in your argument. And there are holes in my argument concerning the pre-tribulation rapture. I think I have answers for those, 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 those holes in my argument, but there are still holes nonetheless. And I like to be I believe the pre-trib rapture because I think I have less holes than those who hold to a different view. But the fact is that none of us have a franchise on the truth when it comes to the dating of the rapture. So having said that then, understanding that I hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, and so I'm going to interpret this passage on that basis. So uh, verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, this is the rapture of course, um, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, the King James says, is at hand. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Two things, he says, that are uh, 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 definite proof that that Jesus is, that the rapture has happened. Now remember the context. We have to go back to the context. The uh, Thessalonians had received a letter, and obviously we understand that from reading between the lines here, that basically said, Jesus has come and you've been left behind. And that's why Paul says in verse um, in, in verse. Two, three, let no one deceive you by any means, uh, sorry, verse two, uh, not be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us. So someone had forged Paul's signature, written a letter as though it came from Paul and said, Jesus has come and gone and you're left behind. Now, so he gives two signs. The signs do not tell us when the rapture is going to happen. They are simply proof that the rapture has not yet happened because these things are not fully in place. The one is the Antichrist. I don't believe the Antichrist will be, will be in place. I, I think we may see him rise. I think we may uh, even know who he is, but we will not see him as clearly identified as the Antichrist until after the rapture. But th then he speaks about the falling away. And I want you to see that there is a difference between these two things. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. That day, just by the way, for those who are scholars and know the passage well, what day? Not the day of the rapture, but the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will not come. And remember, the day of the Lord is how long? Thousand and seven day, uh, years. Thousand seven, you, 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 how do we get to a thousand and seven years? Seven years, 
tribulation, thousand years of the millennium. Um, and I'm not going to give you all of the reasons for that. All right, so the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. So these things are not happening simultaneously. The falling away happens first, then the man of sin is revealed. Now, the falling away, therefore, must be before the rapture. How do we know that? Well, what does he mean by the falling away? Now, I, I know there may, there, are, there may be people here this evening, and there are uh, good Bible teachers. One of my best friends, uh, who's now gone to be with the Lord, believe that the word falling away here means the rapture, the catching away. I, I don't believe that. The word apostasia means falling away and falling away from the faith. The word is used in the Old Testament concerning those who fell away from the Jewish faith. It's used in the New Testament, clearly, those falling away from the New Testament faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, who falls away? Can the world... Uh, hang on, now I've got, I've got to cover another base here first. My comments here have nothing to do with whether you believe you can or cannot lose your salvation. Let's put that aside. That's got nothing to do with this. These people may be saved and they fall away, or they may never have been saved and they fall away, but they had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. So, so let's not get into that argument. So do unbelievers, and what I mean by unbelievers is the, the atheists in the street, can they fall away? Clearly not. How can you fall away from something that you don't have, that you're not on? The word falling away literally means that you were standing on something and you fell off that thing, just to make it simple. So who falls away? The church. And when I say the church, I mean the visible church. The visible church. And this concept is important. There's the visible church and there is the real church. The visible church is made up of all of those who claim to be born again, some are saved, some are not, the wheat and the tares. And so the falling away clearly must involve the church. But if the church is gone, how can the falling away happen? So the church must still be present in the world. Now remember the falling away, and again, we, we have so many different views, so you, you, I have to cover so many, uh, so many gaps here, so many... Uh, um, uh, uh, counter-arguments. Remember that he's speaking about the falling away. Let no one deceive you by any, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There is a difference between Antichrist and the Antichrist. There have always been Antichrists. Was Hitler Antichrist? Yes, he was. Was Nero Antichrist? Yes, he was. But they were not the or the Antichrist. They were minor fulfillments leading up to the ultimate Antichrist. There's always been tribulation. 
because I don't believe people go through the tribulation. Many people have turned against me. I got a scathing letter from somebody a few weeks ago saying that I'm irresponsible because I'm saying Christians will not go through tribulation. And obviously, you know, uh, people take it upon themselves to correct me uh, when they don't often know what they're talking about. I've never said you will not go through tribulation. And I'm telling you now we will go through tribulation. That was what Jesus said. All who live godly will suffer persecution. If they treated me, he says, this way, they're going to treat you that way. We've been deceived in the last few hundred years in the Western world, in America, Europe, and Australia, into believing that the church operating without persecution is our right. We've grown up with no persecution. Very few of us here have ever experienced any real persecution, if any at all. And so we say, well, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. No, it's not the way it's supposed to be. What we have experienced in the last few hundred years is an anomaly. It's not the normal thing. Just go back to the history of the church. The first 300 years, the church was viciously persecuted originally by the Jews, then by the Romans. And then the church, and I'm going to come back to this, and I'm probably going to have to deal with it very quickly, but then the church forms an alliance with Constantine. Or he forms an alliance with the church. And we say, well, that's the end of persecution. But persecution continued. Who was doing the persecuting now? The church. The visible church was persecuting the true believers. And that has continued, that continued for 1,500 years, more. Then we got the, Re the, rest the Reformation, and we say, well, this is wonderful. And yet every one of those Reformers persecuted true believers, every one of them. Murdered Christians. There's always been persecution. More Christians are living under persecution today, according to Martyrs for Christ and those, those organizations, Open Doors. More Christians are living under persecution today than are free. So persecution has always been there. But clearly what the Bible is speaking about is the tribulation. Not tribulation. Tribulation has always been there. But there'll be the tribulation or the tribulation, the great, in the original, in the Greek. Sorry, now I've really gone a long way off. So now you have the falling away. There's always been falling away, right from the very beginning. I don't know who the first one would be. Maybe Judas was. Was Judas one of the twelve? Yeah. Was Jesus ever saved? I, I'm not going to get into that argument, but certainly he was regarded as one of them. Jesus sends him out on, on, to go and preach the gospel. He entrusts him with the money. He's the treasurer uh, or the public officer. He, you know, he does all of these things, and yet he has a devil. And from him to today, there's always been falling away. I'm not making a statement as to whether they were saved or not saved. That's just Put that to one side right now. But now he's speaking about the falling away. The same way as there is the Antichrist, there is the tribulation, there is the falling away. 
the same way as these other antichrists were nothing. I mean, they were terrible, but they were nothing like the final antichrist will be. The tribulation that we've experienced in the last 2,000 years is nothing with what the world will experience during the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And the falling away that he is speaking here is nothing in comparison to the falling away that has always been in the church. Now, here's the thing. We're in that falling away now. I think I alluded to this last time I was here. Folk, we are seeing a falling away in an unprecedented way. I preach in churches in different parts of the world, and almost without exception, there's a couple of rare exceptions, not one of those churches are growing, and most are declining. People say, what's happened? We're going to have great revival. No, there's no great revival. There's a falling away. And for, for me, it's come very close to home. As during this last year, since the last time I was here, I've lost a number of colleagues, men who preached the gospel with me in different parts of the world, turning from the faith. Some going to homosexuality, or one at least. Others turning to Greek orthodoxy. Others just growing cold and getting involved in their private stuff without serving God anymore. I'm not talking about pew warmers. I'm talking about men who preach the Word of God. My wife will tell you that there was a time last year that I didn't even want to switch my phone on in the morning because I didn't know what I was going to face next. Who's next? Who of my brothers, who of my, the men that, that preached with me has now fallen away? And the same in my church. People that I believe that were truly born again, that I baptized one after the other, back into drugs, back into this, back into that, back into the world, gone. Will they ever come back again? I don't know. That's God's. But folk, I have never, I've been in the ministry 50 years now. Just about to work it out. Yeah, it's 50 years. I've never seen this. We're living in a time when the love of many is growing cold. Many are falling away. And I don't believe there was ever a time like this before. It's the end. And we're very close to, to the very end. All right, let me give you the third one, and I'm going to give this to you very, very quickly. This is extremely controversial. I understand that. But in Revelation chapter 17, I touched on some of these things with Brother Werner uh, over supper this evening. In Revelation 17, we see the woman who is arrayed in purple and scarlet. And she is, verse 5, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. She is clearly a religious figure. It is most commonly agreed that she is Rome. And if that's your view, that's fine. I, I tend to 
think that that probably is wrong. But in that process of saying this is Rome, we excuse everything else that is within Protestantism. But we forget that she has daughters. And verse 5 says, Babylon the Great, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she is the mother of harlots. She is the great harlot. She has daughters, and they are harlots. What defines a harlot? Well, we, we don't want to get into too many details here. But a harlot is someone who enters into an illicit relationship. An illicit relationship. She sells herself for favors, for money or something else. Is that essentially what a harlot does? Yeah. Now you'll see that it says that she, she rides on the back of the scarlet beast. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Who's the scarlet beast? The Antichrist. So she's riding on the back of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a political figure. There's no question about that. We're all agreed on that. So this is a religious person, a religious figure representing religion, riding on the back of a political power. Is that an illicit relationship? Yes. It's an adulterous relationship. Because if this is the church that he's talking about, again, I'm speaking about visible church, who is the church's husband? Christ. When the church forsakes her husband and enters into a relationship with the governments of this world, she is committing adultery. She is selling herself. Understand what I'm saying? If I, let me just be plain. I don't care whether you're, and I know people in Australia have strong views about what's happening in America. I don't care whether you support Democrats or Republicans, um, whether you're conservative or liberal in your views. That, that's got nothing to do with this. Whether you like Trump or don't like Trump, this is not the point. It's got nothing to do with this. But the church in America has entered into a formal relationship with the government, has sold herself to the government in a formal agreement. We will bless you. We will vote for you. You protect us. Protect our morality. Protect our rights. But who's our protector? Jesus Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Folk, I, I know this is clouded because we have preconceived ideas about the President of the United States and of the Republican Party and of um, um, abortion and, um, and all of those kinds of things and homosexuality and gun rights. 
But folk, the day the church enters into an agreement with the government, it's exactly what the scripture speaks of, riding on the back of the Antichrist. Have we had examples of this in the past? Yes, I just quoted one to you a few minutes ago. A.D. 300, the church entered into a relationship with Constantine, with the government. And I believe without any question that that was the darkest day in the history of the church. The darkest day in the history of the church. When the, for all intents and purposes, unsaved Roman emperor sat as the chairman of the Council of Nicaea and ruled over the bishops. And in the end, had a massive influence in the writing of the creed. And from there it was downhill all the way. And we can go through history, we can talk about Calvin's Geneva where you have exactly the same thing. We can talk about the Church of England where the Queen is the head of the church. And the list goes on and on and on. These are adulterous relationships. We have one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to keep ourselves separate from the world. We cannot enter into a relationship with the world. We cannot look to the world for help. We cannot look to the world for protection. Remember Israel in the Old Testament going to Egypt to help them and forsaking the Lord, entering to alliances with the Philistines and with other nations around them in order to gang up against other nations. And every time they did that, They were saying, my God is weak. He can't help us. He can't protect us. We have to help ourselves. We better form alliances with the unbelievers. Folk, we can never form alliances with the unbelievers. You may not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we say, well, that's marriage. No, it's not marriage. It's in every area of life. And folk, what we have seen in America, I believe, is for me one of the clearest, and and I know that you will probably disagree with me. I know there are very, very, very few in America who agree with me, but I believe that what we're seeing is one of the signs of the very soon return of the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying Trump is the Antichrist. I don't believe he is. But I believe what we have proven is that we're willing to sell ourselves. When I say ourselves, I mean the church. And that when the Antichrist comes, the church will gladly enter into an arrangement with him as well. We live in serious, serious times. So what is the coronavirus? Is this, is this it? No, I think it's a trial, trial run. It's a dry run. I believe the devil is testing his plans. I really believe that. What's happened with evangelicalism in America today, is that it? Is Trump the Antichrist? No, I don't believe that. But I believe it's a test run. And what the devil now knows beyond any doubt is that the visible church in America and in much of the rest of the world will sell their souls for political expediency. God help us. Jesus is coming. Let him who is pure be more pure. Let him who is vile continue in his vileness. And I'm just taking that scripture liberally and 
Revelation chapter 21. Jesus is coming. Let's lift up our heads. Let's look to Him to save us. Let's look to Him to keep us. And let's look to Him to take us home. Amen.